Welcome to Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. This show is about animals and the people who dedicate their lives to them. And welcome everybody back to another episode. That's right, another episode of Animals to the Max. I am your host, Corbin Maxey. Thank you so much, as always, for taking the time to listen to the show. You know what? I'm going to let you guys all in on a secret. Well, I guess it's <laughs> I, guess, I guess it's really not that big of a secret. If you follow other animal podcasts, you will probably have noticed a trend that was going on last week. We all decided to release podcasts about big cats. Well, I should actually probably specify. Everyone decided to release a podcast about big cats, except me. Now, if you listened to last week's episode, you'll know I did release a podcast about a cat, although it was not a big cat. It was a smaller cat. But hey, with its personality, the black-footed cat is one of the most ferocious and most formidable predators in Africa. So, I don't know. I think it makes up for a big cat. But I guess, (laughs) to be honest, behind the scenes, what happened with that is that one of my big cat experts dropped out last minute. Thank you so much. I'm Jonathan Scott. So with that said, we all got together as an animal podcast community and we all decided to focus on, you know, one group of animals and the big cats. And I just want to give a special shout out to some of my favorite podcasts in the animal podcast community. And listen, you guys have a lot of options. You have a lot of things you could be doing, a lot of podcasts you could be listening to. And I really recommend these podcasts. If you are into animals, there's a lot of them. And the best thing is that each one of these animal-related podcasts are completely different. They're completely different. That's why I love them. That's why I keep on going back to them again and again. And it's crazy because, for instance, I will, I mean, I, I, I love hippos, so I listen to the hippo episode on the All Creatures podcast. I also listen to it on the Varmints podcast. And, you know, obviously you're going to hear some similar information, but 90% of it is completely different. The content, I learned something new. I love it. Special shout out to my friends over at the Strange Animals podcast, the host, Kate Shaw. She's fantastic, and she's actually the person behind all of us doing the big cats and kind of coming together. So thank you so much, Kate. Check it out. It is an excellent podcast. Also check out the Varmints podcast. It is definitely one of my personal favorites. And I've been, this is a serious thing, I've been binge listening to their episodes. Paul and Donna are absolutely hilarious and there's well over 100 episodes. So I'm so excited that they're producing great content and have so much to listen to. So check out Varmints. Also, the Species podcast was very informative. I really enjoyed that one. We have the All Creatures podcast. Chris and Angie, which I feel like are close enough as family, even though I've never met them. We've only met via Skype or Google Hangouts recording podcast interviews, but they have a great podcast as well. I also enjoyed Life, Death, and Taxonomy. That was really interesting. If you are kind of maybe in a rush, only have, I don't know, 30 minutes of your time, check it out. They kind of put everything together. They talked about jaguars, which I I love jaguars, by the way. I'm uh, working on a jaguar expert. I will be with you guys soon soon with that kind of update you. You can also check out Cool Facts About Animals, which is a great program for kids. You know, honestly, each and every one of these podcasts are great just because they all offer their own different flair or different twists. But on today's episode, I'm excited. We are going to talk about the caracal. Wait, what? What's a caracal? It is one of the most unusual cats, wild cats, that are found in Africa. If you picture, if you've never seen a caracal, it looks very similar to a lynx. Some people call it the African lynx. They're actually not even really that closely related. But we talk 
to Dr. Laurel Sayre Yes, who is actually the founder and the runner of the Urban Caracal Project. And I'll tell you what, I learned so much just about the Caracal and this very unique project. And it really mirrors exactly what's going on right now in North America regarding that human-animal conflict with coyotes, especially here out in Idaho. They have a very, very nasty reputation. And so basically what Dr. Laurel Sayre Yes is doing is she's trying to see what is happening with the caracals and their behavior in urban situations and she's currently researching this and it is very very interesting i hope you all learn a lot i hope you enjoy my interview with dr laurel serious from the urban caracal project dr serious we're going to talk about an animal you know when you think of africa and you think of african cats you think of lions you think of leopards and cheetahs but a lot of people I mean, especially here in the States, have never heard of a caracal. Can you explain what that is? A caracal is a medium-sized cat, and it's akin to a bobcat that we have in the States. So it's very, it's sometimes called the African lynx, and it actually looks like a miniature mountain lion with very long ear tufts and a short tail. Oh, man. I I was dying to see one. I went to Kenya, and I was dying to see one. I saw a serval, but I did not see a caracal. Well, serval's pretty lucky to see, too. Right? (laughs) Yeah, and, you know, I really, I I actually found your organization online, the Urban Caracal Project. And I looked into it, and it was so interesting to me, because... Basically, I mean, caracals, not only are they found in Africa, they're also found in the Middle East and, uh, you know, obviously other parts of Asia. And you just said just not much is known about them, really. Yes, that's correct. Uh, Despite how widespread they are, we just don't know a lot about their basic ecology, especially outside of South Africa. Okay, okay. And so, yeah, just explain a little bit about what the Urban Caracal Project is. The Urban Caracal Project is basically my dream to do wildcat research in Africa. <laughs> and so, uh, and to understand how urbanization impacts wildlife in other parts of the world, other than California, which is where I got my PhD studying bobcats. And I learned a lot about how urbanization affects bobcats and mountain lions when I was studying um, in Los Angeles with uh, UCLA. And I was very fascinated by how urbanization was actually driving evolution um, in those populations. And so I just was very excited to try to assess how urbanization impacts wildlife in other, like I said, other um, parts of the world. And there's just not a lot known outside of um, outside of very developed countries like the United States or Europe, Australia. So it's my postdoc project um, is sort of the simple answer. And it's also my project to try to really learn more about what it takes to conserve species 
in rapidly developing areas outside of California or outside of the United States where I previously worked. Okay. And so was it always, I mean, so, so you grew up in California. Did you always have a passion for like smaller cats, like bobcats, or did you have a passion for caracals? So I'm actually from Texas, oh, and, okay. but I've always, yeah, I've always dreamed of working with cats since I was a kid. Um, and of course, you know, romantically in my mind, it was always larger cats, like leopards or jaguars and, um, so I thought up until I uh, was in my mid-20s, I actually thought I was going to work exclusively on larger cats. But then I um, got an internship with the National Park Service in Los Angeles and had the opportunity to work with both bobcats and mountain lions. And I just discovered a passion for smaller cats. And at the same time, I was, you know, doing a lot of reading and I found a paper that talked about how there's a lot of research on cat species, but it's predominantly driven, you know, by larger research on larger cats and Mm -hmm. that there's relatively little known about any small cat species with the exception of a few like bobcats basically so i just wanted to talk just about your your experience just um just regarding you know working with the bobcats or mountain lions i mean were you you know tracking these animals um maybe talk a little bit about um what is going on with urbanization and kind of you know maybe that that conflict yeah so i have actually worked on two different projects uh in california and so for my phd work i worked on bobcats and mountain lions in los angeles and i have a part-time another job i don't call it a part-time job Another job, in addition to my caracal work, um, working on bobcats in Silicon Valley right now. Oh, okay. And so I'll just start with the Los Angeles project. So I was working with the National Park Service, and they have been tracking bobcats since 1996. And to track the animals, it means that you capture them, radio collar them, and then use the radio telemetry or now GPS um, information to track the animals. And it's a lot of it's, it's not as romantic as it sounds. You're not actually seeing the animals very often. Okay. Um, But, you know, remotely sort of assessing their data and how they're using the landscape. And then, so there was a good foundation of knowledge about how urbanization was affecting behavior of bobcats, Um, but there was this uh, disease outbreak that happened in the population in 2002, and the population just plummeted, and um, this is specifically for the bobcats. And an underlying cause was attributed to exposure to rat poisons and so that topic really fascinated me when i was an intern with the national park service and just before i started graduate school and i think um you know it was like this potential link between poisons and disease interacting in an urban landscape uh and you know causing the decline of this otherwise seemingly very resilient population. 
And so that's largely what I focused on for my PhD research is trying to disentangle um, the effects of rodenticide and disease on the population. And that meant actually that I needed to go out and capture a lot of bobcats, as many as I could, in areas where I suspected that there was poisons being used, and then in other areas where I predicted no poisons were being used. And I didn't track any animals after that. It's it's just too much of a job, big job um, mm-hmm. to do everything I was doing plus, you know, also then following the animals. So for the majority of my PhD work, my interactions with individual bobcats were approximately one hour with each cat. And, you know, that I would capture them in a cage and then have about an hour to get all the samples I wanted and assess their health. And then we just release them on site and we're unlikely to ever see them again. So you said that urbanization affected their behavior. And just from what I know, and I'm not a bobcat expert, I actually, I grew up in the middle of nowhere, Dr. Sirius. I grew up in Roby Creek, Idaho. Have you ever heard of it? No, I haven't. <laughs> no one also, has. You can call me Oh, Laurel. Okay. Sorry. Well, <laughs> okay. So Laurel. So I grew up in the middle of nowhere. And so, but we lived with bobcats and we actually saw them once. They were so elusive, but we saw a mother with kittens. And so um, just kind of going back to that with my childhood, I know they're incredibly elusive. And so how did urbanization affect their behavior? So what the National Park Service, who's leading that component of the project, which is still ongoing, Um, They found that bobcats were, and coyotes actually as well, they were also doing a study on coyotes for a while, were more nocturnal than they would otherwise be in more remote areas where there's less urban influence. So essentially, they the animals were shifting their behavior to try to avoid humans. And so they would come out, you know, instead of like, at crepuscular times, so during sunset and sunrise, they very can be very active, but they were shifting their activity to more exclusively during the night. And um, females had less preference for urban areas. The females were denning or do den in extremely urban areas. So there was a case of, at least one case of, a female giving birth to kittens under someone's house. And really? so... So they do seem very resilient and tolerant to urbanization, even if there's, you know, slight preference by females to try to avoid urban areas otherwise. Okay. Okay. Very. I was just curious. That's so interesting to me. Okay. So you are working in California. What takes you to South Africa to tackle caracals? I have always wanted to do research abroad. And I knew from when I started my PhD that when I was done in Los Angeles, I would go work on cats somewhere else. I was married and my ex-husband would only go to Cape Town with me. So I created a job for myself in Cape Town so that we could go together and then he never came Oh, gosh. <laughs> so I got to... <laughs> I'm so sorry. But... I'm not laughing. I'm actually just about to get married. You're giving me hope, Laurel. <laughs> <laughs> That's really, you know, the classic love story. <laughs> but um, I, I mean, I, of course, like, you know, I'm 
am grateful because, you know, despite everything that, that ended up happening, um, I can't, I don't regret my choice. And I have, I always dreamt of working in South America, actually. So I, between my undergrad and my graduate school, I lived in Spain for a year so I could learn Spanish. So I was ready (laughs) to move to South America. Okay. But then my ex didn't want to go there. So, um, so I ended up in South Africa, but it's been, it's been really amazing. And I guess what South, what Africa has, you know, that South America doesn't have is just megafauna that are so easily visible. And so it has been really magical for me to be able to travel to places where I can see elephants and, you know, larger cat species and just all the different antelope species. So definitely no regrets on this side. Okay. And I'm, I'm a huge believer. Everything happens for a reason. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think you agree with me, Laurel, but I really think everything happens for a reason. Okay. So you go to South Africa, you create your own job, this project. So what was going on with Caracals before you came? Was there human-animal conflict, I'm assuming? No one knew what was going on with Caracals in the area where I'm working. So when I first, I mean, the, the odds were definitely stacked against me, I would say. So when I first applied for the permits, um, I they were rejected by local um land management agencies because it would they didn't think that there were caracals in the study area or in the Cape Peninsula where I wanted to work. So they didn't even think there was a stable population. So essentially very little to nothing was known about the status of caracal in the Cape Peninsula. And so I came despite that. <laughs> yeah, I but how did you? <laughs> oh I felt very convinced that I would find a stable population or some population of caracals. Um, and so then when I got here, you know, and started working in the area, we did discover that there was actually a caracal population that it seems relatively stable, it's hard to know, but, and that they're interacting with the urban wildlife interface or wildland interface in a very interesting and cool way. Okay. Okay. But actually, um, so interestingly, in terms of conflict though, caracals are uh, notorious for eating livestock in farmlands. So a large part of South Africa are, um, are rangelands for sheep. And so they are actually hated and considered pest species in farming areas because farmers um, have, you know, they end up losing stock to caracals. Whereas in the urban areas, the conflict that seems to come up is that caracals will eat people's domestic cats. And this has been, yeah, a really interesting topic because before I started the project, no one even knew that there were caracals around. Uh But now I have the project Facebook page and I have the 
the website. And so now people are aware of caracals being present in the area. And so they're also more aware of if their domestic cat goes missing, maybe a caracal ate it. Oh. And so, so conflict has actually risen to the surface in, in part because there's just more awareness. Okay. <laughs> so okay. This is insane though, but this is a cat. I mean, okay, so this is a cat. They range anywhere from, like, what, 35, 40-ish pounds? Is that correct? Uh, our largest one, yeah, was around 35 pounds. Wow, and they're taking down livestock like sheep? Yes, and it's not, you know, their main prey source, but, yeah, they take down sheep. I had one male kill um, a bontabok antelope. The Bontabok, I think we're around, or estimated around 100 kilograms. Oh, my Which is what, goodness. like, pounds. So, you know, definitely taking down prey that are much larger than themselves. My mind is just blown. I mean, these are just, pre- I mean, just predators. So, like, in the wild, would that be their main prey? Or are they going to focus more on, like, birds or rodents? Or are they just opportunistic predators, hunters? They're very opportunistic they'll just take whatever live prey is in front of them that they can kill without too much injury (laughs) wow they kind of sound like the problem we have here out west where i am with like coyotes they are they're in my mind i often think of them at sort of on the same plane as coyotes in terms of resilience and adaptability and just making do with what they have they're i think more tolerant to urban development than even bobcats are and are more on the spectrum of coyote side of things wow so they fare and you know and i'm going to be honest with you i never thought when i mean and i've known about caracal since i was a kid they always fascinated me but when i thought of them i always thought of them in the open savanna i it never even crossed my mind that they would be living in urban areas yeah they do it's just not as sexy to imagine them there (laughs) yeah so okay and so and and so from your research i mean are, you said that they're basically thriving. They're, they're doing pretty well in an urban environment. It's, it's really hard to assess that with a limited duration of study. So the project, what, I was only doing field work, so capturing and tracking animals for three years. And right now I'm analyzing the data. So essentially that's not enough time to really say whether or not you know the population is thriving. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot of things that they're up against and that we've, we've discovered, you know, that not only are they hit by cars, like you would expect around any urban areas, but there's issues with disease uh, and pesticide exposure, killing the caracals as well as poachers here. Mm. And so, you know, that's an element that you don't, really see in the states so much is the issue with poachers and it's probably not you know a huge source of mortality for them but basically there's there's a lot of things that they are up against that it's hard for me to imagine them ever having what we might call like a booming population you know mm-hmm. it's just their habitat is shrinking like around most urban areas and it's their resilience that keeps them here but for how long they'll be able to persist, I don't know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, okay, just kind of going back. So you said that you would actually, I mean, capture them, you know, for your research out in the wild. 
they are so elusive. Like how, <laughs> where do you start? Um, <laughs> so when I started, I'd actually never even seen a caracal. <laughs> and so, so like, you know, I arrive in South Africa and I've never explored the area where I'm going to be working either. Um, so, and it was, it was very interesting and unexpected for me that I had to also build my trapping cages and so it was like, what size do I make them? I don't even <laughs> really know. What is a caracal gonna, you know, be willing to go into? So, um, so what it takes though, whether you're doing caracals or other medium-sized cats um, that you trap with cages, is just a lot of walking around and trying to figure out how animals in general are using the landscape, and especially, you know, like considering what the probable prey of caracals would be and therefore where they might go hunting. And then when you're working in urban areas, you have to also consider an element of where can you trap animals without people, recreational visitors of the park seeing you. Or in our case in Cape Town, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of, homeless people that live in the parks and as well, I mentioned poachers. And so it's just what actually ends up limiting you quite a bit is just where can you safely put a trap that no one else is going to find it. And then you just have to hope that you can find a spot like that, that animals are using as well. But, you know, interestingly, and sort of a general truth about the way animals use landscapes is that they like a path they often like paths of least resistance for example caracals are more likely potentially to use social trails or the dirt roads that are in the park than you know just wandering around through thick bush mm -hmm. so um yeah it's very tricky but it is how I've had to work in Los Angeles and how I worked in in Silicon Valley and then in South Africa. Just sort of went with my gut if the area seemed safe to me. Okay. Wow. That just fascinating. I'm just my mind is blown. That is you are <laughs> what an interesting uh <laughs> just just an interesting thing to do. So <laughs> Really quick, I mean, on your website, which it's very nice, by the way, definitely you guys have to go check it out um, online, the Urban Caracal Project.com, correct? Dot org. Oh, dot org. We need to get a dot com, Laurel. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I was going to say, so you can actually on your website report problem caracals. Actually, so I have a form that is to report caracal sightings in general, not not problem caracals. So people often contact me, though, with I have a caracal that's being a problem. And so after much debate, I did put a tab on the website that is problem caracals and what to do. Mm -hmm. about them, which is just actually getting people to click on that page so that then they read about trying to live in harmony with wildlife mm -hmm. <laughs> and not consider animals problems. <laughs> but um, yes, we have the reported sightings form is something that I do because people I have found here and in other places I've worked, they want to be involved and often the best thing that people can do is just 
donate some money. But, you know, people want to feel like they're making a more meaningful contribution to the work. And so I had people just interested to tell me about their experiences seeing caracals. And so I created the sightings report form for people just to go online. And then I thought, oh, this is sort of an interesting way to see if the data that people report match the data that I collect by radio coloring caracals. Mm -hmm. And it actually, it really, if you're to put a map of our reported sightings by our GPS locations from callers, they mirror each other. And so it's become this just very interesting thing to keep track of while at this stage, I'm not even radio coloring animals. So it's just sort of nice to have this way to keep collecting data that people feel like they're making a meaningful contribution contribution to the project. And they are, you know, by mm -hmm. keeping us informed. So how often are people seeing them? Like, what is the traffic? I just thought they were so elusive. It was like kind of like a ghost, kind of like a leopard. You know what I mean? Yeah, I would say so. It actually kind of depends on <laughs> whether or not I remind people on the Facebook page that we have. So whenever I put a reminder up, then I get more reported sightings. <laughs> but I would say that I get reported sightings probably on average once or twice a week. And sometimes because I still have animals that are ear tagged, it's clear to me that they are repeat animals that are just visible. So like in the last month, I've had maybe six reported sightings for the same animal. And I know it's that animal because we have his ear tags. And in the past, I've seen that with other individuals as well. Actually, the first caracal that I captured and collared for a long time, there was just one cat. And this was part of, you know, that learning curve of how to study this species and a new system for me. And so I'd be out there every day, you know, trying to trap new caracals to tag and radio collar. And people would come up to me and they'd say, oh, we've seen collared caracals everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy because there's only one cat collared. And so it kind of, you know, plugged that idea for me that it would be interesting to track <laughs> what people are seeing and that I think often it's just the same individual who's maybe more habituated to humans and so is less weary of being seen. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, so that's the story behind the reported sightings. Okay. And how do you convince people like to live in harmony with them? I mean, cause for instance, with, with coyotes here, I mean, I, you can't convince anybody I mean, people go out and try, you know, shoot them for fun. They trap them. They, they poison them. Uh, how do you convince farmers that, Hey, caracals are great. Let's live in harmony. So luckily I don't have that job. <laughs> 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 with farmers um, because there's not a lot of farmers where I'm working. So um, I think the conflict that I have to deal with more is uh, so people's domestic cats being eaten or just, you know, there's some people will see the animal and be fearful and think, you know, this is a wild cat. Why is there is something wrong with it that it's so close to urban areas? Mm -hmm. And then people 
of course, are very attached to their pets. And so when one goes missing, then some conflict can erupt. But I like to think that by providing um, transparency about the project and what we're learning about the animals, and then just to be a resource that's available for people to call and answer their questions about what should they do differently. Mm -hmm. I think that that alone convinces some people to do things differently. Mm -hmm. But overall, you know, I don't know how much convincing I'm really, yeah, really I mean, doing. Like, I like to <laughs> realistic Laurel, about it. Laurel, do you have like a speech prepared when someone calls and says, listen, Fluffy's been missing for three days. Like, do you have like, what do you say? Um, I, so often people are calling because they suspect that a caracal mm. is involved. Mm -hmm. So I say, yes. You know, it's very possible that it was a caracal. It could have been another predator as well. So mm -hmm. um, just a general advice that I like to give people is to try to keep your pets indoors, especially at night when predators are more active mm -hmm. and not to feed and water wildlife. Okay. Will they also take dogs as well? We haven't seen that as much, but I I think if they found a small dog that wasn't barking at them, they would they would prey on a dog as well. But a lot of people, their reported sightings come to me when they're out walking their dogs and their dogs sniff out a caracal and chase it up a tree. And so caracals, like other wild cats, do have this embedded fear of dogs. And But they seem to be like, more fearful maybe than than maybe bobcats um in so far as that a lot of the reported sightings we get do come up because a dog chased a caracal into a tree and we haven't seen dog in much of their diet we have very few incidents of them eating dogs despite you know sort of a thousand cases of caracal diet that we've studied mm -hmm. i think dog has come up only once or twice Okay. Okay. Yeah. We have a, we have a seven, uh, actually seven and a half pound Yorkie. I'm pretty sure it'd probably be on the Caracal's menu. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Sorry, Bella. Okay. Are you ready for my lightning round? Sure. <laughs> you sound thrilled, Laurel, by the way. Uh, I'm just kidding. What is, I mean, it's not really, it's not really a, a lightning round, but what is your favorite fact about Caracal's that maybe a lot of people do not know? I actually really love how adaptable they are, which okay. this comes from working with them. So their adaptability is what I love okay. and their beauty. They're really beautiful. Mm -hmm. They are beautiful. What are my chances? If I and their tufts. I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I like, I, I said, and their ear tufts. Oh. There's a lot that I like about this. <laughs> yes. Let's talk about their ear tufts. Cause that's the most recognizable, I mean, physical trait for me, really. I mean, when I think of a caracal, why do they have those ear tufts? I don't, you know, that I don't think that people really know for sure, but theoretically they are for being able to detect prey or possibly communicating with other caracals, but that's sort of a general theory about ear tufts in mm -hmm. general from other species as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. And if I fly to South Africa, Laurel, what are my chances of seeing a caracal on safari? <laughs> Zero point zero. 
I don't want to give you an impossible, but it's very low. Very low? Okay. I mean, have you ever seen one on Safari? No. So, an interesting, it would actually probably be easier to see them if you went to an area where you're not on Safari. There's there's fewer apex predators. Okay. Um, So, their numbers seem to be higher in areas where there's not lions and hyenas and wild dogs and for example they seem more abundant in areas where they are the apex predator okay yeah because i saw this i mean stunning photograph i mean it's i mean just a shocking photograph of a leopard actually taking down a caracal on your website i just was like oh my goodness oh was that today that you saw that yes actually last night I just put it up. <laughs> I, Laurel, I do my research for my guest. I was just, oh my gosh! Did you, you procrastinate? Did, did did you take no. did you take that photo? I didn't take that. I found it online. It was something that circulated, um, and yeah, the photos are really beautiful. And of uh, they were taken by someone on Safari. I can't remember where, but oh my god! Yeah, they, it's a stunning photo. Mm-hmm. Okay. Are there any other cat species that you would like to tackle with this, or is it just going to be the caracal for you? Well, I don't forget I'm already doing the bobcat. <laughs> but you need <laughs> more to do, in Laurel. South Africa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in, in South Africa, you need more on your plate. You're slacking here. <laughs> um, <laughs> just kidding. So I, yeah, I, I am interested in maybe doing some black-footed cat work in South Africa, which is another small wildcat species. There's even less known about them than caracals. Mm-hmm. And then one of my dream cats is um, to work on jaguarundis, which would be in Central or South America. Oh, man. And oh, as well, um, I am working with a colleague. I'm assisting in a minor way on her fishing cat project. So I'm actually going to go to Sri Lanka in December, where she's doing this urban fishing cat project, you should totally check out their website. And it's I'm I'm super excited about that because I've seen some of her data and it's like real urban movement in a very interesting way. Wow. That's so interesting. That is I just, you know, so fascinating. I'm so happy that you came on the show to talk about this and happy to kind of highlight an animal not too many people are familiar with. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for featuring me. It's quite nice of you. Of course. I'm very flattered. (laughs) Of course. Yes. And is there any other maybe last minute advice for our young listeners, maybe young researchers who might want to follow in your footsteps? It's an interesting question because I will say one of the things that I've struggled with um, at points during my life is um, whether to take easier paths or the harder path and staying true to yourself and doing what you love often means taking the harder path. And at the end of the day, I feel like it's been worth it. So that's my advice that I give the interns that work with me now is just stick with it. And if it's what you want to do, just keep doing it. Man, it sounds like college all over again. <laughs> it was like, do I do I go with the you know easier degree or do I go into the uh, you know <laughs> like you know yeah well. I, well, I also tell interns to not discredit all those college classes. Yes. <laughs> so I wish I researched 
Now I wish I remembered more from my calculus classes in college. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I don't, yeah, I completely agree with you. <laughs> Luckily, I don't have to work with calculus too much in my career, but uh, yeah, oh, man. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Like I said, I really, really appreciate it. Well, thank you. Thanks for listening to the Animals to the Max podcast. Please make sure to hit subscribe and leave a rating. It really helps me out. I also encourage you to check out CorbinMaxi.com. You can contact me there personally, even suggest a podcast guest, or if you just want to learn more about animals.